So I was like totally bugging. You're like really pretty. What, like it's hard? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to She's Just a Girl, the podcast where us girlies are just hanging out, talking about life, and having fun. First, I want to say thank you so much for all the love, all the support. Honestly, the first three or four days that this podcast has been live has blown my mind with how many listeners and subscribers I got. It Like, I can't even describe it. It makes me feel so validated that this is something that I should be doing and that this is something that people want to enjoy. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm actually finally able to make money off of this podcast. And I mentioned before that making this something that's like a full-time job is definitely one of my goals. So I'm one step closer to that. And it's all because of you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Today's episode is all about my relationship with alcohol and why I decided to get sober. Now, I don't want this to like come off like I'm super anti-alcohol and I don't want it to come off like I'm preaching to everybody about like drinking is bad and everybody should be sober and blah, blah, blah. No, like I just want to share my experience and how sobriety has affected me now because alcohol used to be such a huge part of my life. Like I couldn't go to brunch or any anywhere. I couldn't go anywhere without ordering a drink. And it wasn't a problem until I took it too far. and. I didn't know my limits and I couldn't control it. So let's let's dive into that. I think that my relationship with alcohol started at a very young age. And I don't necessarily mean like I was drinking at a super young age, but a lot of people in my family did. And at every family gathering or, you know, every party that my dad had in the garage. I remember just all the adults in my life getting absolutely wasted. And there's like nothing wrong with that, I guess. You know, they were all just trying to have fun. But I don't know. It just left an impression on me that people in my life needed alcohol to have fun. And I think that the first time I ever drank, if I remember right, was my freshman year of high school. And to be honest, I did not enjoy it. I didn't like the feeling. I I didn't like feeling out of control, like out of my own body, if that makes any sense. But it was really hard because in both high schools that I went to, everybody was super into partying. And I think that might have a lot to do with, you know, I'm from really small towns and there's really not a lot to do for teenagers. And I I don't know. It was just super weird. Like if you're from Rollins or Douglas, you know, like, you know how infamous people partying were. Like, I feel like everybody in high school got an MIP and all that kind of shit. But that was never really my scene. I like I would show up every now and again to a party. But for the most part, I didn't drink. It just wasn't something that I wanted to engage in. And to be honest, I had a huge fear of getting in trouble. I feel like I just didn't want to jeopardize anything with like cheerleading or, you know, like getting into college to be a cheerleader. Like I just didn't want to jeopardize any of that. Also, I, I don't know. I just didn't want to be a part of that crowd, if that makes sense. Like I feel like in high school, there were all of, there was those people who everybody knew they were partying. Everybody knew they show up, like showed up to school drunk. Everybody knew that every weekend they were out at, I'm not going to say names, but they were out at this person's cabin drinking. They were at this person's house. I I don't know. It just was never for me. Now I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm like mother Teresa. Like I never drank because that would be a lie. If I ever did drink, when I was in high school, honestly, it was with a super tiny group of friends. And to be honest, it was usually my friends from Rollins that I, I've had like 
since I was five. And I would do it then because I could trust those people and we were in a controlled environment. Like we were very safe. You know what I mean? I, I felt comfortable doing that. As for the parties that I would go to, you know, I would kind of, I would still have fun and I would still be social and I would maybe have a drink every now and again, but I wasn't getting obliterated. Like, ugh, it just, it made me feel like shit. And I remember, I think it was my junior or senior year, my best friend at the time, and I like, I don't want to name names here, but she was dating somebody who was two years older than us. And so he had his own apartment and he threw parties all the time with high schoolers all the time, which in hindsight, I'm like, I couldn't imagine being out of high school and wanting to party with high schoolers. Like, I'm not trying to be shady, but to me, that just kind of seems weird. I don't, I hope that doesn't come off as like judgmental. I really don't like mean it to be, but I don't know. To me, it was kind of weird. But I was really close with this friend and I would always stay the night at her house and we would always hang out over the weekends. And eventually it got to a point where we were over at his house more than we were ever at her house. So I would have to lie to my mom all the time, right? I'd be like, oh, I'm staying at, at my friend's and in reality, we'd be at her boyfriend's house. And I don't know, that was, it, it was just something I was never super comfortable with, but I always put on that face, right? Because I had to be the fun friend. I was so afraid of not having friends that I felt like if I didn't go along with what my friends wanted to do, that I wasn't going to have any friends. So it was, it put me in a really fucked up position because I was so afraid of being alone and outcasted that I compromised my values, my morals, and like what I wanted to do. And that's kind of fucked up when you think about it. So flash forward to my freshman year of college. Now, right, of course, this is when everybody like goes out on their own. And, you know, we're all trying to figure out life. And if you went to UW, you know, it's a fucking party school. That's like all there is to do. And that's what we all did. But my freshman year, I actually lived off of campus, which is so fucking weird for you, Dub, because they're like psychos about making you live in the dorms. But I had my own health issues. I, I, I just I didn't want to be somewhere where there was a public bathroom. If you like, this is something that I'll talk about in a later episode, whatever. But I had ulcerative colitis, which if you don't know, it's an inflammatory bowel disease. And when I, when it flared up and when I was really sick, TMI, I was going to the bathroom like 30, 40 times a day. And I'm not exaggerating that. If, if you know anybody who has like Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, or if you have those, like, you know what those flare ups are like, and it's fucking hell. And I just didn't want to be somewhere where I had to have a public bathroom where I didn't have control over the food, you know, that I was putting into my body because Washington, right? You, you have to kind of pick what they give you. Honestly, I don't really know. I've never been there, but that's kind of where my mindset was. But anyways, get, getting back on topic, um, at this house that I lived in off campus, I lived with three friends from Rollins and Two of them were a year older than me, and the other one was my age. And we had a pretty good dynamic. Like, we all, like, held each other accountable when it came to studying. We all made sure we all went to class on time. We would give each other rides because parking's a fucking bitch. But we also like to have fun. And we would have small little get-togethers with other people that we went to high school with. And I always felt safe doing that. Right. Because again, it was people I've known for like my whole life and people I trusted. And again, we were in a safe environment. We lived honestly kind of a little bit out of town and it was a house, like not an apartment. So I was like, oh, there's no way we're ever going to get caught doing this. Now, I don't regret my decision to not live in the dorms. However, I do have a little bit of regret, I guess, that I missed out on that freshman experience. Because I always felt like so many of the different freshmen I would meet in my classes would always talk about how the dorms were and, you know, how they made so many friends from so many different places. And 
that's how word of mouth got out, right? For like different parties happening or different like frat parties happening. And that was something I didn't get to experience, which would I have done it? I don't know. I was in a totally different mindset than I was in high school. And so part of me feels like I missed out on that like freshman experience, but coulda, woulda, shoulda. I guess I'll never know, right? But I don't know. Sometimes I would also have FOMO, which like FOMO is real in college. And it's really hard to say no to people. I feel like you're just at that age where you just want to have fun because you finally have this freedom to like go do whatever the hell you want and not have to ask your parents for permission to go out or have to like sneak around. It's, it's like you can just do whatever the fuck you want. Second semester of my freshman year, I actually had to end up leaving school and taking a break from cheerleading because my ulcerative colitis got so fucking bad. Like, I couldn't remember what being healthy felt like because I was so sick. Like, if y'all would have seen me at this point in time, and those of you who did see me at this time, you could tell something was wrong with me because I was one. I had the like chubbiest cheeks because of the corticosteroids I was on. Two, I had this chubby face, but this tiny body. And it wasn't like tiny in a healthy way. It looked like I was very obviously sick. So I ended up leaving school and I had six surgeries on my stomach. So this is all in 2016. And again, I'll dive deeper into that shit like in another episode. But I was out of school and out of cheerleading for about 10 months, just recovering. And during those 10 months, I moved back home with my mom because I needed around the clock care. It was bad. Like I said, we'll, t- we'll talk about that later. But I couldn't even get out of bed by myself. And then when I finally was able to like get out of bed and go out and be social, I really turned to alcohol. And I think that is about the time where I started partying pretty regularly. I, I don't know. It was just something to do, right? I had nothing else to worry about. I wasn't working. I wasn't in school. I didn't have the responsibility of cheerleading on my plate. I was kind of like free to do whatever I wanted. And again, when you're in a small town, what the fuck else do you do besides drink? I remember making the drive from Douglas to Casper quite often because I made quite a few friends who went to Casper College and they were all living in the dorms, right? So they kind of had that freshman year experience of where are all the house parties at? Where's, you know, where where can we go to have fun? And I think that might have compensated for me missing out on my freshman year experience of that kind of stuff. And I had so much fun, which honestly, looking back, I fucking hate house parties. Like, I think they're so cringy. And I I don't know, just being like, I could never imagine having that many people in my home. It freaks me out. I don't know. But that's when I really started to enjoy like socially drinking, making new friends, you know, having so much fun. and. From there, it just super escalated. It went so out of control. When I finally came back to UW, I was feeling good. I was 98% recovered from all of the surgeries I had just had. And I was introduced to downtown Laramie and how easy it was to sneak into the bars. And I remember I was with two of my good friends. And uh, I don't know if I should say their names, but anyways, I was with two of my really good friends and they invited me out. They were like, hey, we're going to go downtown. Do you want to come? And of course me, I was like, I'm 19. I don't have the fake ID. I like, I don't know how I'm supposed to get into these bars. And they reassured me that it's super easy. Like they know the people we're, we're going to be all right. And I remember it's so funny this first night that we went out. Roxy's we got into Roxy's no problem like it was totally fine and then we snuck into Lovejoy's through the side door on first street like if you're from Laramie you know what I'm talking about and we snuck in and I remember this guy was like hey you can't do that you can't just come in through that door and my heart dropped 
I was so fucking scared. I was like, oh my God, I got caught. Like, I'm going to get in trouble. And it turned out to be a friend of the friends I was with. And he's super fucking cool. Like, he was just joking with us, giving us a hard time. But I just remember that feeling of like, I'm gonna, I'm fucked. Like, I am gonna get in so much trouble for this. Now, again, if you're from Laramie or went to school in Laramie, whatever, you know what the buck is. And for those of you who don't know what the buck is, the buck is the closest thing that Laramie has to a dance club, I guess. Like, I, I don't even want to say club. It's honestly the most disgusting bar I think I've ever been into. Like, I'm not kidding you. Your shoes would stick to the floor because of how fucking disgusting that place was. But it was the place that everybody went. And it was exhilarating, I guess, like for lack of a better term, to sneak into there because I remember the bouncer who was checking IDs was on the right side of the door. And the crowd trying to get in was so big and like packed, jammed tight at that door. That my friend shoved me on the far left side and she said, go, pushed me in. And I got in and nobody batted an eye. Like it was, it was fine. And again, I, I hate that bar because of how disgusting it is, but it was so fun at the same time. And they played really good music. And now this is before they had the three floors. They only had the two. And downstairs was where they had a projector you know playing the music videos of the songs playing and they always played the most like dancey music like I'll never forget the first night I ever snuck in there um I want to dance with somebody by Whitney Houston came on and I lost my shit I was so fucking happy I oh I can't even describe that feeling of like euphoria that I was having because I was like, holy shit, this is fun. Like, I'm actually having fun for once. And I'm not scared that I'm going to get in trouble. Because pretty much everybody in that bar, like, I would say probably 60% of the people that go to the Buck and Laramie are underage. Now, this was a point in time where I was still very early on in my transition. But I kind of had it going for me. Because one... This was right after I had like really perfected makeup after practicing because when I was home for those 10 months, I didn't have anything else to do. So I would, again, like stay up till 3 a.m. doing makeup all the time. So I was really good at makeup. My hair was super short and I don't know. I, I got a lot of male attention. I'm not even going to lie. So I don't know if I enjoyed the male attention I was getting or the thrill of doing something, you know, wrong, so to say, and not getting caught for it. It was between one of those two for why I enjoyed going out so much. And maybe it was a mix of both. And I don't know. It's so weird because, right, one, the male attention was validating for me. And then two, the thrill was like, who doesn't enjoy that? It's something so exhilarating and it's like oh I'm bad like I know I'm not supposed to be here but I'm gonna be here anyways after the first night that I snuck into the bars downtown I was so set on doing that as much as I could and the two friends that I was super close with at this time they were also in that same mindset so we were going out every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, of course, right, Thursday in Laramie, fish bowls at Mingles, Friday, oh god, I think it was, was Friday Dollar Jack and Cokes and that kind of stuff at Lovejoy's? I'm pretty sure, and then Saturdays, of course, just everybody went out, and especially after, like, football games or, you know, after basketball games, everybody went downtown, especially if the Cowboys won, like, that was it's just tradition holy shit I can't talk tradition in Laramie that that's what we do and this was fun right like in my head but at this point too I like had just got a job and I was back in cheerleading and I remember I would go to work because I always worked mornings so I'd be at work at like 8 a.m and I would always go to work either still drunk 
or extremely hungover. And this is so disgusting. And if I could slap the shit out of 19-year-old me, I would. But I would literally go to work with last night's makeup still on. And I guess the one good thing about being that young and going out all the time is it didn't bother me, right? Like, I could go to bed at 4, wake up at 7, still drunk, and I was fine. There was no, like, extreme hangover. Like, I wasn't violently throwing up like the way I would be now at the age of 26. But I don't know. I just made that happen. And I would do that, you know, and then go home, take a nap after work, back out again. And the thought of doing that now, I could, uh, how the fuck did I do that? How did any of us do that? It's so crazy to me. So college was definitely where I really started drinking and really enjoyed going out and partying. And I was able to sort of tone it down after I graduated. But very recently, and not like a week ago, maybe starting in like October or so of last year, is when I noticed my drinking started getting really out of control. In about October, like I just said, I reconnected with a lot of my friends who still lived in Laramie, and I was invited out a lot, you know? And honestly, I, I, I was so sick of the going out scene in Cheyenne, and if you live in Cheyenne, you know, like, we have two fucking bars that are fun to go to. And I was like, you know what? Let me go back to my old stomping grounds of Laramie, and, you know, we'll... Let's just have fun. And it was easy because at this point in time, I was living in Cheyenne. My boyfriend was living in Laramie. So it was nice, right? I didn't have to worry about driving home. I could just go over to my boyfriend's house after a night out. And I I don't know. Maybe that was like some weird justification in my mind of like, oh, I can get obliterated and it's totally fine. but. I don't know, slowly and surely, I started realizing that I was using going out as a coping mechanism because for that time that my boyfriend and I didn't live together after living together for two years, I had a lot of trouble with being alone. And I don't, being alone just scared the shit out of me. I don't like it. I've never enjoyed it. And of course, it stems from a lot of the issues I experienced in childhood and how I've carried that over as an adult. But I just didn't ever want to be alone. And whether I was with friends or out at a party, whatever, it felt nice because I had people to keep me company and people making me feel good and validating me. Going out in Laramie again started off pretty slow. Like, I think the first night that I did go back out in Laramie was Halloween. And I just had so much fun. My good friend, Jasmine, I'll I'll say her name because she's, you know, we're still super, super close. But she had a Halloween party at her house. And then we were all going to go downtown. And my original plans for Halloween kind of got fucked. So I was like, you know what, let me go do this. Let me have fun. And, you know, it would be here and there just like that. But Eventually, it started turning into every single weekend. And, you know, I would get off work at like 10, 11, whatever. I would drive my ass to Laramie, meet everybody at the bars, drink as much as I fucking could in the two hours that I had left, and then go home absolutely fucked up to my boyfriend. And this really started to take a toll on our relationship because... You know, I would come home so late, so fucked up, making an ass out of myself. And then Sundays are like the only day that neither of us work. So we have that full day together. I would be sleeping until like one or two in the afternoon and like wasting the precious time that I did have with my boyfriend and TMI maybe, but it also started to take a toll on our intimate life. And not in a way where it was like we weren't being intimate with each other or whatever, but I would come home so fucked up 
and jump on my boyfriend and try to be intimate. And then half the time I couldn't even be intimate because I was like, A, either about to throw up or B, about to fucking pass out. And it just made this like negative association with me being drunk and wanting to be intimate and not wanting to be intimate when I was sober. I don't know. It was, it was really fucking weird. And I didn't notice it until he said something about it. And then I was like, holy shit, that's like kind of fucked up, you know, because I'm this hypersexual person when I'm fucked up. And then when I'm sober, like, I don't even want to be touched. It, I don't know. It was super, super fucking weird. And then aside from, you know, going out with my friends in Laramie, after work, you know, at like 10, 11 at night, whatever it was, it was so easy for the friends I worked with. We would always be like, oh, you know, the crown is a block away. Like, let's just go there. Let's have a few drinks, take the edge off. Like that was a shitty shift, whatever. And sorry, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I work for a restaurant and bar. And if you've ever worked in the restaurant industry, you know that alcohol as well as like other vices, you know, is super common. And drinking is so prevalent. Is that the word I'm looking for? Um, In the service industry. And it's hard, right? Because when you work as a server, as a bartender, it's a different dynamic than having a nine to five, because we have the whole day off, right? We don't go to work till like four or five. And then we're off work by 10, 11, and you just have so much energy because your schedule is not that of a normal schedule, like a normal work schedule. And those late nights out are part of the culture of restaurant industry for whatever reason. And honestly, that's something I really want to dive into is like how toxic the restaurant industry is. But yeah, it was just easy for us to all like walk the block to the crown and get drunk. And I was getting fucking drunk to the point where I was throwing up on the weekdays. And then I would get fucked up to the point where I'm blacking out on the weekends. So like, this was obviously a problem, but I didn't see it as that. And then I started shifting from only drinking at night after work to drinking throughout the whole fucking day. And I would literally show up to work fucked up, fucked up at four in the afternoon. Like, who does that? And then I started drinking at work. You know, we would have events going on and it would be a super stressful day. And it was I would just go up to my friends and be like, let's take a shot. Let's take a shot. And if at this event there were people I knew, I'd be like, let's take a shot. And it all like it just got so out of control to where my boss even called me out on it. And he would be like, Santi, how many shots did you have tonight? And I feel like a fucking dog with my tail tucked between my legs because I'm like, I don't know. But he knew damn well I was very fucked up because when I'm drunk, I do not have a poker face at all. Like you can tell that I'm very fucked up. And this also escalated to like drinking all the time during the day. and finding whatever excuse to get fucked up. So like my boyfriend and I, every Sunday, we still do this. We'd always go to brunch and I would always be like, let's order a pitcher of mimosas. It's nine in the morning. I don't give a fuck. Let's, let's have fun. Sunday, fun day. Let's get, you know, let's get drunk. And I think this really had to do with a lot of my own like delusion because I would make any and every excuse for drinking that I could. I think the biggest one that I would use is I'd be like, oh, I had a hard day at work or it's been a rough week. So I would just say that I was using alcohol to take the edge off. And another reason I think that I took drinking like to 100 percent to 150 percent, like who am I kidding, is because I always wanted to be seen as the fun friend as the party girl, as the life of the party. And a lot of that would include me doing stupid shit, you know, me acting 
so out of pocket and so fucking crazy that all of my friends would be like, damn, like, you're fucking crazy. Like, that's the party girl right there. And I think I enjoyed that because it gave me a lot of attention. But looking back, that's not the attention I wanted to deserve. My grandpa, he's from Kentucky. He has always told me it's better to be the person watching the guy stick his hand up a horse's ass than to be the guy sticking his hand up the horse's ass. And I I know it's like that's so fucking country and that's so like whatever. But that always stuck with me like now or not always, but it really has now because I was always the jackass. I was always the one being fucking crazy. And that's not how I wanted to be. But for whatever reason, I liked the attention that I was getting from that. And I think the last excuse I would use to justify my drinking and, you know, getting fucked up is I was so young. I didn't have kids. I really didn't have any responsibilities outside of, you know, my dogs and my relationship. But then even then I was neglecting that. So not a valid excuse, but YOLO, right? And so as my drinking got more and more out of control, it led up to the day. Oh, this is this is like really hard for me to talk about because it, it is the worst day of my life. It was the day that I decided to get sober and the events that happened that day. So it was a Sunday afternoon and my boyfriend had to work which is very rare for him to have to do on Sundays. And again, right, I didn't want to be alone. So I reached out to my friends, saw what they were doing. They were at brunch. So I was like, you know what? Like, I'll just join you. Like, whatever, it's fine. Until that brunch turned into us going to the Buck at like 11 a.m. on a Sunday and me getting absolutely fucking obliterated. And I remember some of the things I was doing and how I was behaving that day. But then I blacked out. But even the things that I remember, I'm like, why the fuck would I do that? Anyways, blackout. I don't know what happened. All I know is I woke up at like 8 p.m. on my couch just feeling like shit. And my boyfriend didn't even want to be near me, which is super fucking weird for us because we are a pretty affectionate couple. We like to cuddle on the couch, you know, we like to have fun and all that, whatever. But I was like, what, what's the deal? Like, what the fuck? You don't even want to fucking like touch me. You don't want to kiss me. What the fuck is going on? And he let me know what happened from that time from where I blocked out at the bar to how I ended up passed out on the couch. Basically, I made a huge ass of myself and made a huge scene when my friends dropped me off at home. And I guess I was crying like for no good reason. Like nobody knew what the fuck was wrong with me. And I don't want to go too much into detail about this because one, it's very personal and two, it's very embarrassing. But I started to get really aggressive with my boyfriend. Now, again, I don't remember this. I only know what he's telling me. But I know he would never lie to me about this. And getting aggressive with my boyfriend is something that is so out of character for me. Because, again, we don't even yell at each other. We don't raise our voices. We have never gotten physical, physically violent with each other. And I guess I did. And I just remember sitting back and crying. Because I couldn't believe that I, that, that I had like hurt my boyfriend in this way. And I still get emotional, like thinking about it now, because the thought of hurting him kills me because he is such a good person and is so supportive of me and loves me so unconditionally. And for whatever reason, he looked past all this bullshit and still loved me. And that's when I decided it wasn't worth it anymore. That 
my drinking problem was compromising my character and my values. And aside from just affecting me, it was affecting my relationship, which is one of the most important things in my life, if not the most important thing in my life. And it was leading me down a path that I never wanted to go down. So that day is the day I decided I was done. I was done drinking. I was done getting fucked up. I was done staying out till 2 a.m. I couldn't do it anymore for my own fucking sanity. I could not do it anymore. So making this decision that I was going to be sober and I needed to make a change because not only did I have a problem, I was becoming a problem. Becoming that problem to the people that I love most in my life. And it started with a promise. I promised myself that I was going to quit drinking. And I could tell how disappointed in me and how upset this had made my boyfriend. And again, the thought of hurting him or disappointing him or acting in a way that's not genuine to myself, that kills me because he is probably the one of the few people in my life that I can be 100% me in front of. And what was like in my mind, I was asking myself, what is the easiest thing to do that will solve all of this? And of course, right? Quitting drinking. And so I made that promise to not only myself, but to my boyfriend that I was going to quit drinking. And of course, there was some doubt in his mind and also in my mind, because this is something that like, how do you come back from this? You know, and drinking to the level I was drinking, how could I expect myself to believe or him to believe that I was capable of quitting drinking? And you know what? I couldn't even blame either of us, but especially him. I couldn't blame him for doubting me. And I remember he told me, you know, and like, I'm not even going to lie. He was still pretty fucking upset with me. I remember he told me, we'll just have to see. Like, only time will tell if you're going to follow through with this. Not only did I experience a lot of doubt from myself and from my boyfriend, I experienced a lot of doubt from a lot of people. And a lot of people were, was like, or, you know, they were saying like, oh, like, yeah, how long is that going to last? You know, like a day? How long have you been not drinking? Like two days? And that hurt because I felt like I wasn't being supported or I wasn't being taken seriously. And again, I can't even fucking blame people because I had made alcohol such a huge part of my personality that, of course, everybody in my life thought I was either just joking or I wasn't taking it seriously or, you know, oh, this is just a phase, like she's going to grow out of it. And that fucked with me mentally, but it also pushed me more to prove everybody wrong, that I was capable of overcoming this. And while I did experience a lot of doubt, I did also receive a lot of support. and. From those people who are supporting me, you know, they're always telling me how proud they are and how they support my decision because it's making me better, making my life better. And I'm still having fun, I should say. Like, I'm still able to go out to a bar with my friends and, you know, they'll order their drinks and I'll just get a Diet Coke with a lime. and. It's fun. And I, I kind of like in my mind have this like idea where it's like, I'm going to still have fun. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to act as if I'm still drinking. But no, I don't, maybe that's not the way I want to put it. But I'm still able to have fun. Like, I'll still go dance. I'll still sing all the fun songs that come on, you know, like all the songs that we grew up on. And I'll still have fun. But, I'm going to have fun in a way where it's controlled and where I'm not making stupid fucking decisions 
and I'm not making an ass out of myself. And in in a way, I'm still having fun, but in a way that's more true to myself. I think another way that I felt so supported through this all is I have a lot of people in my life, actually, who have also made the decision to be sober. And I have a great friend. We work together. And she's been sober for five years, which like I I just hit three months and five years is so fucking crazy to me. But she's definitely been an amazing resource. And I will go to her all the time whenever I feel tempted or I feel like I'm going to have a relapse. And she's amazing and she shares the best advice and it's never judgmental, right? Like, she'll always tell me, whatever decision I make, make that decision with my whole heart and not beat myself up about it. Because relapses are normal, right? When you're overcoming any addiction or you're going through recovery for anything, relapses happen. And the biggest, the most important thing during a relapse is that you don't beat yourself up over it. And I'm very proud to say I have not had any relapses. So that's quite amazing. One of the biggest demons I was not prepared to face was the mental toll that drinking had taken on me. When you stop drinking, you are thinking with a clear head. And you have to face all of the real emotions and the problems that you have been burying with alcohol and that is so fucking hard to actually feel those real feelings rather than numbing them is so fucking overwhelming and me being bipolar i i didn't realize how much i was using alcohol as a coping mechanism to push those feelings away. And then, you know, through therapy, I really realized that a lot of my crazy drinking and stupid decisions I was making while I was drunk, I don't want to put full blame on this, but a lot of it was because I was having manic episodes that was that I was going unmedicated for and uncontrolled and like I I don't it, It's so fucked up because I was, one, mentally unwell as it was, and then two, I'm using a substance that quite literally fucks with you and makes leads you down the path of making stupid decisions. It's like a double whammy. You are just fucked either way. And being sober, I had to face that. And that was so fucking hard to do. Another thing that I had to face when becoming sober was that I was neglecting my responsibilities as a girlfriend, as a dog mom, as an older sister. And I was becoming a person that I didn't want to be, a person who my partner didn't want to be around, my sister didn't want to talk to. You know, I, I couldn't be there for my family Because I was so busy on, you know, focusing on getting fucked up and neglecting these relationships in my life. So, like, if you, like, I only have a very small circle of people. And I don't mean, like, like, don't get me wrong. I have a lot of friends. But people who I am very, very close with and who I can be vulnerable with, very small people, like, group of people, maybe a handful. but. I was making these relationships weaker instead of making them stronger. And that really fucked with me. Another outcome from being sober that I've experienced is FOMO. Now, if you don't know FOMO, fear of missing out, I was always a yes girl. If I was invited out, I said yes. If people wanted to go do this, I always said yes. And... It's hard, right? Because when you make this decision to quit drinking, it's easy 
to think about all the times when you enjoyed alcohol, right? Like for me, I loved coming home and my boyfriend would have a Coors Light. I would have a White Claw and we would just hang out. Like we had one and we're done, right? And it's hard too because your friends all talk about going out. And there are certain times where I can still go out and I can still have fun. But a lot of the times I say no because I'm prioritizing going home to my boyfriend and to my dogs. And I'm prioritizing not staying up late and actually having a normal sleep schedule. But then the nights that I do decide to go out, right, I still have that FOMO because I see everybody with the drinks in their hand. I can remember what that feels like, you know? And I think now I've finally gotten to a better mindset of where I can still feel good when going out without needing the alcohol. And I don't feel as if I'm missing out on something because my friends are drinking, right? Like, I think you just have to get into that mindset of, I can still have fun, but it's still hard to deal with, right? Because this is something that's been a part of my life for the last seven years, and I'm not engaging with it anymore. I've also realized when going out and being sober, how much I was seeking attention from people who didn't even fucking deserve my attention. You know what I mean? And these were all superficial things that I was getting attention on. You know, the outfits I was wearing or how I looked, the makeup I was wearing, whatever. It was all superficial. It was nothing that I wanted to be seen as because I want people to know who I am as a person, my character, that I'm a good fucking friend. I'm a hard fucking worker, not because I'm some hot girl walking around in fucking skimpy ass outfit. Like, I want to be known as a good person rather than just an attractive person, which maybe I'm sounding cocky there, but I don't care. I know I'm hot. As of now, I think I mentioned I am three months sober, which is amazing and so fucking crazy at the same time. It's definitely been a rocky road getting here, but all the hard work pays off because I feel so much better. I'm eating healthier. I'm actually fucking eating. Like, that's crazy. I'm having a normal sleep schedule. You know, I'm, I'm not staying up till four in the morning, sleeping till two in the afternoon. Like, I, I feel like a normal fucking person. Therapy is definitely helping me out through this. And the close group of people I have in my life who are supportive are definitely helping me out with this. And I think one thing that's really like one of my main motivations is my relationship is so much stronger than it ever was before. And I am proving every single day to myself and to my boyfriend that that promise I made, I meant it. And I am keeping that promise. And it's just crazy because now I'm also in a mindset where I can say no to having a drink. You know, this past week has been a fucking nightmare, an absolute shit show. And my boyfriend and I went out to lunch at one of our favorite places. It's a Mexican restaurant. And whenever we went there, we'd always get Corona Micheladas. And he looked at me and he said, I will not blame you if you want to order one because this week has been shit. But even with that, like knowing I have full support in the decision that if I wanted to have a drink, I'm still able to say no. And that's something that definitely feels powerful, right? Even the people who support you in this decision to quit drinking, who kind of offer you um, like a hall pass almost to have a drink, I'm still able to say no. And I fucking love that. All in all, I learned that alcohol was quite literally poisoning my mind and my body and that living without it after having alcohol be such an important part of your life for so many years, it's way easier said than done. Like this has definitely been something that I've had to put work into and really focus on, but 
now it's just amazing. I feel great. I feel like I'm showing up 100% rather than like 50% in all aspects of my life, in my relationship, in my job, in my family life. It, it, I just feel amazing. And again, I don't want this to come off like I'm preaching to you that you need to get sober or that alcohol is bad, all that. Just for me, alcohol is bad <laughs> and I need to be sober for me. Thank you for allowing me to share my sobriety story with you. And thank you for listening. But also I want to give a major thank you to those of you who are listening who are in my life and have been supporting me through this. That support means the absolute world to me. And I wouldn't be here celebrating three months sober if it wasn't for you all. Make sure that you're following the podcast on all the socials. Make sure that you're following me on Spotify. Make sure that you tell your friends about this podcast. If you didn't know, the most common way of people learning about a new and good podcast is through a word of mouth. So please tell your friends about it. Share it on all the socials. I would definitely appreciate it. I This podcast has grown so much in just the short time that it's been out. And I want it to grow even more. That's Every time I reach a new goal, I'm setting a new one. So please, please, please share. The next episode is going to be heavy. I'm not going to lie. And to be honest, I'm trying to find a way to navigate it to where it's not as heavy and we can kind of make light about it. It's all about childhood trauma. And I'm going to share my childhood trauma, not all of it, but certain aspects of it. And how I've overcome it and how I've unlearned some of the toxic behaviors based on my childhood trauma. And if, if you are not comfortable with that or it's something that you don't feel like you can tackle just yet, I totally understand. But I hope that you can trust me that I'm going to do it in a way to where it's not triggering. And I, it's going to be more so of like a research-based, like what is childhood trauma, but with my own personal stories in there. So I'm not going to lie. I'm nervous to be that vulnerable. Vulnerable? Holy shit, that's a hard word to say right now. Um, but I, I know that this platform is the one place where I can share that, like, that trauma. And where it's not going to be judged. And again, I'm super nervous for it, but I think it's going to be great. So tune in for that. That'll be next Monday. And I will talk to you all here so soon. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much.